This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jarrett Duncan. RJ! And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week we're tackling a trilogy. Spines number 14, 15, and 16 in the Criterion Collection are being discussed today. The Samurai Trilogy, directed by Hiroshi Inagaki from 1954 through 1956. But first, RJ, how are you? Uh, I'm okay, man. I'm feeling a little bit queasy. Um, this morning, I uh, had to go to the store for some stuff, and uh, I noticed that um, the Halloween candy displays were in prime force. Yeah. And it's not like I'm not, I'm just not going to get some, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got some of that, and uh, like with no intent that it would last until Halloween, like let's not kid ourselves here. Like I knew it was going to go down pretty fast, but um, I was also working at a desk all day. So snacking was like, uh, like unhindered. Like you, like you know, I didn't really take into account how much I was pulling out of that box. <laughs> it was unmitigated access to. What did you uh, get? What was this box of? Uh, it was a Nestle box. So oh, it, uh, okay. it chocolate bars. Yeah, it was uh, Kit Kats, Coffee Crisps, uh, Smarties, and Arrow. Uh, and for uh, any American listeners out there, I don't think they have the Coffee Crisp. But it is a delightful candy. Um, anyways, though, I uh, I really went went to town on that stuff, and now I, I feel pretty pretty weird to be honest. I'm a little lightheaded, and I'm a little little out of out of it. So that's if just I the go, diabetes. Yeah, well, Wilfred Wilfred Brimley's gonna come in at any time. But uh, if uh, I start to bubble and become incoherent during the podcast. Like normal, this time it's because of candy and not because of mm-hmm. the drink. Gotcha. Also, if you hear rappers crinkle in the background, it's because I can't be stopped because I am an animal. Mm-hmm. So that that's pretty much what I'm doing. But hey, Halloween candy's out, so that's cool. Yeah, yes, they are. Yeah, how are you doing? Uh, doing okay. Weekend is here. Uh, here I am on a Friday night <clears throat> doing nothing more I would like to be doing, I guess, than recording here a podcast about samurai movies Mm, there's a few things i can think of that might be better yeah uh my girlfriend she uh went off to a art party so she's gonna go Uh, do that thing having all sorts of fun with uh socialites and high up there people like uh jared leto and those types yeah the real upper crust of society Mm -hmm. yeah i i get to deal with uh those types enough in my day-to-day job that it's like, ah, do I need to spend my free time doing that? I wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Here I, I am would. with you down, <laughs> down, down in the dumps. <laughs> yeah. That's the best compliment I've ever got. Well, you're welcome. I'm here with you down in the dump. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, so, uh, Oliver wrote us a brief little email to, Ooh. uh, to tell us how to spell the name of the director of the, uh, oh, no. Hunt for the Wilder people. <laughs> So, I, I think I'm going to stick with my uh, my previous um, pronunciation, Takiki Watiti. That's not bad. That's not too bad. Well, I guess like phonetically here, it's uh, Taike, or it could be Taika. Taika Waititi. Hey, I'm, I wasn't you're too not, far you're off. You're not too horrendous, yeah. Well, well, I appreciate the uh, <clears throat> the adjustment there, though. Mm-hmm. As we, we stated before, it's not that we like purposely pronounce names wrong. It's just... I'm real dumb, so it's like you don't I don't know, know any better. Do. Yeah, I don't know any better. I'm an ignorant uh, Westerner, so mm-hmm. woo. Well, that's cool. 
Now we know. Now we know. Thank you, Oliver. Now so, we know. RJ, what have you managed to creep on? Uh, creeping's been a little, a little slim uh, this week, but I did get some stuff to talk about with you. Oh, oh, oh. two uh, very related things, actually. Go on. So uh, I found out this week that uh, Andrea had never seen Fargo, so I was pretty surprised and shocked. And after I had left for a couple days reassessing the relationship. Yeah, I came back and decided to show her Fargo. So I rewatched Fargo this week, and um, I mean, there's nothing new for. I'm not gonna revolutionize interpretation of that movie. It's fucking great. Everybody likes that movie. Um, you not know much what? to say, but I do. There was two things I I took away from that. Were you gonna say something? Oh, I was gonna say. You know, uh, my first experience with Fargo was when it came out on video. My parents rented it from Blockbuster, and mm-hmm. they watched it. And I remember kind of coming in and out of the room, and they thought it was horrible. They thought the movie was Aww. like, oh, it's such bad acting. Oh, it's terrible. I don't. They they just hated that movie, and I was like, yeah. At the time, I was like, yeah, I hate this movie too. That I don't really know what's going on. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. Ha ha. Going with my parents. Um, right. It was only like. Two three years later, that I actually like knew knew what a Cohen brother was, and mm-hmm. then uh, I went back and watched it. And I was like, "Wow, this movie's absolutely amazing!" And I feel like maybe my mm-hmm. parents like uh, maybe felt that Fargo hit a little too close to home. Um, living in the neck of the woods that we do, uh, it's very much like you're a Minnesota or North Dakota, mm-hmm. uh, even right down to those accents. Like my uh, aunt sounds a lot like uh, a character from Fargo. You betcha. Um, you yeah, darn tootin' and. Um, so maybe that was why. Maybe it was just like the, the mirror was being held up, and uh, mm. yeah, and it, it was they just, stared into the yeah. abyss, and the abyss they, yeah, stared they, back. They didn't see it. They didn't see acting. They just saw bad actors, like just people, like in a movie. Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, that that is a oh. performance. Well, that's too bad. Maybe yeah. they should. Uh, maybe you should tell them now. Like, have they rediscovered it or? Uh, I don't know if I've, I, I think I might've said like, you guys really need to watch this again. You really need mm-hmm. to watch this again. I don't know if they did. I think, it, I think maybe my dad did and I think he liked it more or yeah. he liked it at that point. But I think at the time, cause it had like all the Oscar buzz. And I think my parents were expecting this like gritty crime thriller and it's not that, um, mm-hmm. it's like, it is at times like it's, I mean, yeah, I, I fucking love that movie to bits. Yeah. But anyway, you were saying two things, two things. Oh, yeah, two things. Uh, One thing, the only real problem I had with this movie, Jer. Okay. It's a problem. It's a major issue. When, uh, what's her name? Uh, You know, what's her name? Marge Gunderson? Uh, Yeah, sure. So, um, Francis. No, yeah. When she she comes back from, like, patrol, and then you get, like, uh, the creepy dude from Zodiac, who um, also, by the way. Her husband? yeah, you know you know that guy, right? Yeah. Um, Normie? So like, Norm? Yeah, so Normie. I always think the first experience I had with that guy was from uh, the Drew Carey show where he was yep. like the cross-dressing brother. Yes. So like I always pictured him as like a really like kind of like – like I guess in that show his temperament was like he was kind of straight and no real nonsense, but he was a cross-dresser. So I played on that, but I always took him in like it's a comedy, so I took him in as a comedy. And then like as I got older, I saw him in – like zodiac and uh, i guess he's in that american horror story as like a poopy pants clown or something like that so he's like in all these weird roles as well Mm -hmm. so it's like i i never know what to think with that guy because then he's in fargo doing like cute stuff so sorry that was just a weird tangent that i went on but so anyways francis comes back from a patrol and uh, he's there and he's got lunch for her yeah and she's like "Ooh, arby's 
eh? And uh, they're sitting there eating their Arby's, and uh, they have straight, like, straight cut fries, not oh, curly fries. Oh, fuck. What the fuck is that? I've Have you ever met a person in your life that has gotten just straight normal fries from Arby's and not curly fries? It must have happened at some point. I can't. I can't say that it has. Mm. I don't think they even. I don't think they even stock the normal fries anymore. If someone asks for it, you know what they say? Why don't you go fucking McDonald's? You they, chump. They, they paintbrush you across the face. Yeah. Five this across is, the eyes. This is Arby's. We're talking. <laughs> so um, that's it. It really. I just noticed it this time because it's probably been, I don't know, like eight years since I've seen this movie, but. Mm-hmm. I I saw that and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, why aren't they eating curly fries? So that was weird. And then um, another thing, the uh, the second takeaway, uh, when we were watching it, when you first see Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare in the car driving, uh, there's like a close up on Peter Stormare and Andrea looks up. She's like, is that Ryan Gosling? I was like, what? <laughs> she's like, she's like, is that Ryan Gosling in that uh, Place Beyond the Pines movie? I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, it looks just fucking like him. I was like, Peter Stormare? Oh. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she, I was like, do you know him? I was like, he's like typecast as like stereotypical Russian in like every fucking movie. I was like, you, I was like so like taken aback by it. Mm-hmm. So as we were watching, she did some research and she compiled a, uh, a side-by-side profile of the two. Yep. And uh, I'm going to put it out on the Instagram after uh, Good. after we did this so other people can see that um, basically Ryan Gosling and Peter Stormare are the same person. So Okay. That's interesting. Huh. Um, so anyways, uh, so we watched the Fargo movie and then me and her started watching uh, season one of the Fargo TV show. Yes. And uh, we got uh, halfway through. So we just finished episode five. And uh, my thoughts on that, again, like, I think it's pretty well accepted show. Like, people think it's pretty good. Um, I also think it is pretty good. However, I think this last episode, episode five, kind of lost me on some things. I didn't, we were were watching it. I was like, it doesn't really make sense. And I was like, oh, that's kind of silly. So there were a few things that really pulled me out of it. So, like, in episode five, uh, mild spoilers here. You know how um, uh, Bilbo Baggins gets uh, that buckshot in the hand. Yes. And it's like, it's like pussing and like sits and all that stuff. And then in episode five, like they finally notice and like take it out. But in like the second episode, after he goes unconscious, he's in the hospital. Did they like just miss that, or did they not like examine him at all? Do you know what I'm talking about? I I barely remember that he, part. He gets taken to the hospital, and the first thing he does is looks at, at his wrist, and he sees the buckshot is still in there. So it's like, did no doctors or nurses notice that? I don't know. Like, that's a pretty small thing, uh, but that was something. And then there's, like, the, all this stuff with, like, Colin Hanks and that lady cop, it seems, like, really forced. Like, he's talking to the rabbi, and he's like, he says the cop's name and then he kind of like looks off to the side and like pauses and he's like, she's, she's sure terrific. He's like, she's amazing. I don't know. I don't buy it. Colin Hanks. I don't buy it. <laughs> hmm. So I don't know. Stuff like that. I was like, uh, come on. And then the lady cop goes to Bilbo's house and she like go. The first thing she does is go to the basement and then goes to the washing machine and takes the back off. It's like, hmm, it's pretty good detective work there. Like, why would you do that? It's very bizarre. 
I think that was I think that's set up in the episode though, like her like remembering him looking behind there when she was there before. Okay. Well, yeah. that, that one's on me. Like I said, it's, I need- it's been like, you haven't yet a disadvantage because it's been a few yeah. years. Like I watched it when it came out and mm-hmm. uh, like when it just came out on Blu-ray. And so it's kind of uh, a little removed from my mind, like those little things. Yeah. I mean, I vaguely do remember the thing with the hand and like not being noticed with that. I remember that kind of being a bit of a glaring like yeah. plot beat that just like, oh, okay, they mm-hmm. went along with it. But I mean, on the whole, I think like all I really remember is uh, Billy Bob Thornton being just like absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, there's like, cause you're only, uh, you, yeah, you just need to finish We're, the last three episodes because <laughs> it's been, no, uh, it's only, I'm only halfway through. Oh, it's 10 episode season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You need well, to finish so, it. No. Yeah. So like, don't get me wrong. I think the show is really good. It was just like coming off of this, the last episode, that was the first episode that I actually like had issues with. So that's like the freshest in my mind, but no, I, I do really like it. I like how Billy Bob is always like talking about shitting. And, like, when the one guy comes to, like, yell at him, he just goes to the toilet and takes a big dump and, like, doesn't pay attention to him. That stuff's all awesome. Okay. So I, I do look forward to watching the rest. And uh, I'm really looking forward to season two because all that was filmed in uh, the small towns within about an hour's drive from us. So that's pretty neat. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And that's it, man. That's, that's all I it. got. Just some some Fargo creeping for you. There you go. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, as far as my creeping goes, I uh, I watched a Charles Bronson picture uh, mm. called uh, Acts of Vengeance. Act of Vengeance. Been a while for old Chuck. Yeah, so like, yeah, at this point, I'm really having to dig down deep to find some new Chuck that I haven't seen before. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like only 18 or 19 people have watched this on Letterboxd. I guess it was a HBO TV movie and it came out in like 1986. It's only ever been available, I think on VHS. Um, it's, it's more of like a drama, like almost like crime, crime, true, true crime story. And, uh, it's like, I'd say it's like in the same area as like something like the onion field. It had that vibe to me where, um, like the actual depiction of like the actual crime is really nailed well in the sort of like a cold chilling manner. Like you get the sense of like, oh yeah, it's like a horrific incident, but then it's kind of like got a lot of just like mm, set up or like at least in, in Onion Field, it was all like way too much like prologue or like a or post log. <laughs> like yeah, that much, movie's so boring. Yeah. There's, or, or it's un, there's like a, like the whole second half of the movie after the actual like police shooting, it just keeps going and going and going and going and going and doesn't go anywhere interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. In this movie, it's like, it's all set up and it's okay. Um, it's like, I guess for like a Charles Bronson movie, it's like a like three out of five. Um, <laughs> I would never really go out of my way to watch it again, probably. Uh, it does right. have an early appearance though by Keanu Reeves. Um, in, in, uh, Tim talking about having his whole hand up a woman. Um, in, wh- in what capacity? I, I'll let you decide. And uh, <gasps> also it's got one of my uh, favorite uh, character actors pops up, uh, Maury Chaikin, who's a Canadian actor. And he usually just shows up in movies and he just plays like the filthy fat guy. Um, mm. In this mm-hmm. movie, he like, there's this bit where uh, he's like, a, he's kind of like a crap criminal and he's selling people uh, guns and he's kind of doing like a testing of, out of the guns in a, an abandoned warehouse. And he just like shows up, all guns are blazing. He starts dual wielding and then dropping to the floor and like rolling around around like but it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of played up as like he looks like an idiot and he's out of his mind and it's just like Aww. so funny because it's Maury Chaikin um mm-hmm. and um 
Uh, speaking of Wilford Brimley, <laughs> oh, yeah. diabetes. Yeah, he's the he's the baddie in this movie. He get he gets he puts he's a the corrupt union boss who puts the hit out on Chuck. Can you take him seriously? Yeah, I guess. now that you know about his diabetes. I yeah, I mean that's never really. I mean, I'd say I'd hold like hard target against him more than uh those mm. the diabetes um memes <laughs> is this the second time hard targets come up on this show i feel like we've talked about that before uh it might have been dropped during the john woo episode no i think we were talking about like marvel movies or something and you brought up hard target maybe it was body double uh, maybe i'm getting way confused here i yeah i'm i'm confused um so I watched, anyways i watched that um yeah and then uh i've been indulging in some uh uh you know, late September horror picks, some rewatches, uh, with, with all the talk a few weeks ago about animal cruelty, I decided, Hey, I think it's time to watch uh-huh. cannibal Holocaust again. Um, did you watch it in the full version? Or I've, the I, I've, I have only version? ever watched the full version. Um, animal, you beast. Uh, yes. Beasts. There's lots of beasts in that movie. Um, yep. That turtle scene is still pretty ridiculous. Um, and yeah, no, but that movie is so one of a kind. It is, uh, I don't know. What's a cliche. Uh, it's a force to be reckoned with. Like, it was just Shut like, up. <laughs> Shut the, up. uh, yeah, that's my box pole right there. Yeah. Um, no, it's just like, I don't know. There's like no movie quite like it. Movies have tried to be it and they just don't mm-hmm. do it. I mean, yeah, there's some, like some of the acting's pretty bad, uh, in the eh. off, but no, no, it's, this is like, it's fine. I'm not even like yeah. holding against the movie. I think it's like a perfect, like horror movie in the sense that it really captures, uh, what it wants to do. Like it's, yeah, it's so unique. Right. Um, I'm, I, I, gotcha. I yeah, I, I feel you, man. Yeah. So, yeah, Cannibal Holocaust, I just watched that because it's been several years since I've watched it last. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. uh, we currently have the Cannibal Holocaust soundtrack playing in our car. Um, and that's Ooh. got some funky jams on it. Um, funky jams. Funky jams. Actually, that was um, the first thing I noticed, too, in that movie was uh, the like the soundtrack is so, like, it's so like calming or like, yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like you just, you fe- you're like, yeah, this feels good. But then there's like people getting shoved through poles and stuff. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. how fun. Yeah. Getting weird like mud pies with like pokers in them shoved into people's vaginas. Yeah. It's a classy, classy film. It should be called Classy Holocaust. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, watched, we watched some Stuart Gordon I hadn't seen for a bit. Uh, From Beyond and Dagon. Ooh, uh, good jam. Some Lovecraft jam. Some Lovecraft theme running through. Yeah. Uh, From Beyond, it's kind of like Reanimator for me. I just am kind of like okay with both of those movies. Um, mm-hmm. There's certain qualities to like 80s horror that those movies have that don't work for me and never have. Like mm-hmm. there's some people that like love like Return of the Living Dead. Like they, it's like they're one of their favorite horror movies. To me, it's just okay. Yeah, and there's yeah, just something fine. like there's something something I just can't put my finger quite on that just doesn't connect with me that it does for other people. I don't know what that is. Maybe um, it's just you're not as good as everybody else. That why well, I, I don't know. I know I'm definitely better than people. Oh, okay. Um. So uh, in that Lovecraft uh, line, I also rewatched the uh, 2005. Um, how, what do you call them? There's this like group. It's like the HP Lovecraft like like group there, there's just like this fan group Lovecraft of people gangbangers gangbangers yeah 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 cthulhu full life um yeah. well they made their own uh called cthulhu movie 
uh, back in 2005 or so and released it themselves. And when it first came out, I was a huge fan of it. I thought it was so cool that they tried to make like a silent film, cause which, which is like kind of the era in which the Call of Cthulhu story was written. And they right. uh, they do it as a silent film uh, with sort of like kind of like make excuses for like having a small budget. Um, mm-hmm. So you don't have to have, deal with bad actors and their voices. Um and you make it also like when you're shooting like on mini DV back in the day, your colors look terrible. So making it black and white, it's a great uh, shortcut around that. So a lot of like good thought of thought went into at least trying to make something. Um, mm-hmm. That all being said, 11 years later, watching it now, a lot of that stuff just doesn't look very good. Um, mm-hmm. I'd still like tell people like if you like Lovecraft and you're kind of interested in like that sort of like Cthulhu stuff uh, to watch it because it's got some neat little bits to it. Um, there's a couple times where they really nail like the silent film thing, and it and it's like you just kind of smile because they did it. But sometimes it just looks hokey and stuff. Some, some stuff just reads as like cheap props. Like there's a bit yeah. where like a guy's like sitting and talking, and he's clearly holding up like a modern coffee mug. Like mm-hmm. it's it's got like the weird like uh, you know you could see it has like the colored uh, outside and then it drops off in the middle and it's just like mm-hmm. oh I just it looks like something just bought from like IKEA or Costco or something. <laughs> he he's got like a flip fo- like a Nokia yeah. phone out and he's just yeah. like ooh yeah and it's always like one of those things too like when you have like kind of like people who are just like like doing fan films or whatever and then they yeah. cast themselves in these movies to play sort of these dynamic roles but they just don't have uh, the ro- they don't have the right look of mm-hmm. like what you would have like those actors actually look like if you mm-hmm. cast actual actors. So there's like always that kind of like, Oh yeah, these are non-professionals. Um, yeah. yeah. You got to go to the, Ke- you got to go to the Kevin Smith route. And uh, if you at- cast yourself in a role, just give yourself zero lines. Just stand in the background, be a blob, <laughs> be a blob in your trench oh. coat. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And I guess I didn't really see anything about Dagon, but uh, so Dagon mm-hmm. actually is probably my favorite of the Stuart Gordon Lovecraft stuff, which I guess is sort of an unpopular opinion. Um, Dagon is not without its problems. It has horrendous CGI because it came out in 2001 and was also Uh, like a low budget movie. So it's got some really like mm -hmm. crappy, crappy stuff going on in that department. And there's like almost a little bit too much of it, but not, not bad. There are some really brutal and graphic uh, practical effects though at work that are Mm -hmm. like still like kind of like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, but like from a storytelling standpoint, um, it's like really good. Like um, there, I have always had sort of like an idea of sort of like the uh, Lovecraft story Shadows Over Innsmouth, which this is kind of like an, an adaptation of partly, right. except it's set in Spain rather than like a New England uh, coastal community. Um, mm-hmm. And but like they nail like like the because uh, this the I can't remember the name of the guy. It's like Ezra Godin, who's only done two movies, both Stuart Gordon and uh, the other one was like a, his uh, Masters of Horror episode, uh, uh, Dreams in the Witch House. Dreams, mm-hmm. Dreams of the Witch House. And like, I think he's good. Like he's sort of like young Jeffrey Combs. Okay. Um, and he's fine. Like, but some, like I've read some people, they're like, oh, he's like the worst. He's so terrible. I don't know. I, I don't see what he does. That's like so egregious, but I think he's mm-hmm. like fine. Um, he seems to uh, adapt well to like the Stuart Gordon, like directing style and storytelling. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, I think I've seen some people have some strong hate for Dagon, but I think it's a response to the fact that there's people who like overstate how good Dagon is. Dagon's yeah. just like pretty good. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like the, I'd recommend it to people who like horror movies. Um, it's got some good standout little bits to it. It's well told. Um, and yeah, you could do far, far worse for like kind of like independent horror films from like early 2000s. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. 
Also, uh, actually, just this afternoon, I had a little bit of free time uh, in the office, so I watched this uh, uh, documentary uh, on YouTube I was directed to called Born to be Mild. It's from okay. 2014, and it's just like 15 minutes long, and it's just like a weird little like thing on these like old boring white men living in like uh, hmm. England and just their like hobbies and they have, they're they part of like a online community about being doll and it's like for doll men and women who love doll men and mm-hmm. like as in D-U-L-L just to be clear to people mm-hmm. and it's just like yeah like I collect milk bottles and I, I'm really interested in roundabouts uh, there's like the one just guy like us. just like us with our criterions um, yeah. and then it's like there's this old man he's like I really love escalators and there's this, this footage of him like on like the world's longest escalator or something like that and him just like standing on it and there's people like getting past him he's like you know you know sometimes you're just riding along and you know there's like the posters and you can look at those while you're going and then you can really <laughs> notice like how they, you see like the same poster a couple times while you're riding through and it's just like that's what it is that's exactly all you mm-hmm. see uh, there's another guy who started collecting bricks with like the uh, the builder of the house's name embedded in the brick and he like collects uh-huh. those specific bricks and he has like a little collection in his yard which like is only you know it's 30 or 40 bricks but when you think about when they're laid flat it's not that impressive of an amount and he's just like mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of my thing and then I don't know it's just like it was fine sort of thing it fits into my uh, ongoing interest in the sad bastard loser uh, genre of course. Um, yeah. and so it's another uh, great addition to that. Well, that sounds sad, but also fun because, you know, these guys are living their lives the way they want to. So good for them. Good for them. Good for them. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was a uh, one film that we both watched. This is true. Yeah. And in, true. In, in addition to our uh, Sam trilogy, uh, mm-hmm. we also watched a little film called Ghoul School. Ghoul School. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Yep. I, uh, I I'm hot off of watching that. Actually, I only finished that like three minutes ago. There so, you go. So uh, yeah, that's hot in my mind, Jer. Yeah. You lay it on me. Yeah, I watched. Well, I watched it a few days ago, and uh, I was just posting some sweet pics I uh, liked uh, from the yeah. stills from it that I liked onto the Instagram. Um, those were sweet pics. Yeah, th- 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 uh, I, I encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to go uh, uh, find seek those out because they are pretty spectacular. Yeah, there is a mean moose knuckle in there. Not the one you'd expect. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. Uh, outside of like maybe the first like twenty five minutes of Ghoul School, I'm not sure if there's much to say about Ghoul School. Um, it's, it's from 1990. It's 74 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a band. I don't know what sort of music exactly they play. They there they, is a band. They, they they look like they should be not a metal band, <laughs> um, but they are, yeah. and they don't seem to play their instruments at all. Um, but there's a lot of things like that in okay. that movie, Jared. Well, let's just, let's just be honest here. The reason why we watched Ghoul School is because uh, a couple months ago, when we were thinking about doing a podcast, we were talking about names for podcasts that we could go with at one point. And mm-hmm. at some point, uh, I don't know, at some point, the word ghoul really got into my head and started thinking about ghouls, ghouls, school. Cool school. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that sounds great. And at one point, that might have been the name of the show where we just talked about horror movies. Um, right. And then, well, in this discussion, I was like, huh, I wonder if there's anything called Ghoul School. And sure enough, there was a movie called Ghoul School. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of put that movie on our radar. That's about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think uh, so. I, I will say, like, just very briefly, there, there were a few things that I think this movie's got some merit. Like, uh, 
the guys coming out of the pool was pretty funny. Uh, the guts scenes when they were ripping guts apart were yeah. for very what was probably like ten dollars worth of supplies. I thought it looked okay. Um, one guy gets an axe to the dick, which I thought was hilarious. And uh, later you, you get this weird like forced like machoism in like a basketball court where this coach is like making guys like do layups like individually it's very bizarre yeah. and then like one of the ghouls takes a like decapitated head and throws it at another guy and it knocks him out and i thought that was really funny too yeah. so that's my those are my only real takeaways from ghoul school mm-hmm. and then the ending is like surprisingly dark <laughs> and abrupt for, and abrupt yeah but uh ghoul school pretty cool name yeah pretty cool name pretty cool name for perhaps a series of specials that we're going to be doing this october <gasps> we there fi- it is <laughs> oh, yeah oh, so, you ruined it oh i blew it you, you blew it you blew it so yeah the whole idea folks at this point is that we're going to be doing just one episode of criterion creeps proper for october because rj and i are going to be busy watching the fuck out of horror movies all month um, but and we figure it's like you know we're going to wind up talking about creeping stuff a lot if we just do that so w- instead we're just going to do an additional episode to our weekly criterion creeps episodes and that's going to be ghoul school specials ghoul school yeah so i guess yeah, i think uh, it's cool yeah we'll see if uh if anyone out there else out there thinks it's cool let us know man yeah do you want to go to ghoul school I think there is a surprising number of uh, crossovers between people who buy Criterion movies and people who are into horror movies. Interesting, if true. I th- I think it is because I um I think we've talked about this before, but there's this like whole idea of like um people who like are into horror first, and like they're like people are starved for like any sort of movie because there's like so many horror movies are terrible, so you're just like you're willing to watch anything and give mm-hmm. anything a try. Um, and so you're willing to like find that next high. And so it's like, there's sort of like that weird crossover where you go from horror into art horror and into like surrealism Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that, which lays, I guess like just art films. And then you just kind of keep going and going with that. Cause like, I would say that I would, that's kind of been my trajectory, but maybe we'll talk about our history with horror in our first episode of the ghoul school special, which should be forthcoming here in a few days. I think that's an excellent idea. All I will right. uh, withhold my my ghoulish uh, info for then. All right, then. Um, I guess that list leaves some news and gripes, if there are any mm-hmm. this uh, time around. Uh, I got one little one for you. Go on. Just one little one. And I have a, a feeling that you might have also been reporting on this, so I'll just beat you to it if that is the case. Go for it. Uh, John Carpenter thinks Rob Zombie is a piece of shit. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually, uh, to be honest, it is kind of old news now. Yes, it is but, old uh, news now. It, it was announced like, I don't know, 10 minutes after we recorded the last episode. So mm-hmm. it, it was unfortunate timing, but I thought that was really funny. Uh, for anyone out there who hasn't heard the story yet, apparently... Uh, Rob Zombie tells people that um, when he was making the Halloween remakes that uh, he approached John Carpenter and John Carpenter was like very cold about it and like wasn't like helpful in any way. And uh, John Carpenter has now stated that he thinks Rob Zombie is a piece of shit because he lied. He said he couldn't have been anything 
but helpful. He was basically like, you go do whatever you want. And he was like, I don't care. Like, it's your movie. Just do whatever you want. And then he thought that uh, Rob Zombie, he didn't really like what he did anyways. So, yeah, he started it's hot news it. because Carpenter's coming back to the franchise, I guess. So everyone's asking him questions about it now. And I guess that was one that came up. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like I found that the only reason people talked about that is because people really love John Carpenter and people really hate Rob Zombie. Mm-hmm. But then like uh, there was like a thing that's like, I think, Maybe it was on Twitter or something like that. John Carpenter just went, oh, yeah, uh, it's old news. We buried the hatchet on Sunday. It's all good. And it's the end of it. And it's like, oh, okay. people are so mad about that, I'm sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, like, oh, well, it just fuels their own personal shit that they have mm-hmm. with Rob Zombie. They're like, oh, for for like one glorious day, they had John Carpenter in, like in their camp where it's like, yeah, he is a piece of shit. Yeah. But uh, not anymore. Well, even so, even if it is done now, I thought it was a funny little thing anyways. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. John- I don't care about Rob Zombie at all. So, yeah, no Except- skin off my butt. There you go. Um, well, my my piece of news that I'd like to share uh, was from <laughs> CBC uh, earlier this week. Uh-huh. Home, um, Home Depot pulling scary peeper creeper from stores. <laughs> I, I saw this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Toronto area woman complains the decoration makes light of a serious crime. Um, I would recommend people uh, just maybe type that uh, into Google and you'll get the accompanying image of the uh, offending Halloween decoration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a like plastic man face with like hands kind of to the sides. It's like he's peeping into a window. And so it's just like his head with like a hood over it. And it's just mm-hmm. like it's on suction cups so you can put it up to people's windows. That's essentially what it is. Um, Home Depot says it will pull the scary peeper creeper from its shelves after a woman who saw the Halloween window decoration in a Markham, Ontario store complained it makes light of predatory behavior against women. <sighs> Equipped with suction cups for mounting outside a window, the decoration costs $29 and features the full-sized head, face, and hands of a creepy-looking hooded man peering into a window. Oh, I should have just read that description. The yeah. decoration is made to look lifelike, not cartoonish. The intention is to scare anyone opening the blinds from inside the house on a dark night. A description on Home Depot's website says the scary peeper creeper is perfect for scaring friends and family during Halloween or any other time of the year. Fuck yeah. A manufacturer's website of what appears to be the same product, referred to as just scary peeper, features a video that shows how the decoration can be used as a prank to scare someone. And it, I, I didn't watch the video, but it's just this video of this like dude with a, it looks like it's winter and he's wearing just like a farmer baseball cap. Mm-hmm. He just looks like a like a typical dude. A woman opens the blinds and is shocked to find the creeper staring back at her. That's fantastic, a man says. No, that's scary, the woman replies. Makes light of a serious crime. After spotting the decoration in the store, Brianna Hunt-Wells contacted CBC News to complain, saying the creeper is inappropriate and makes light of a real-life sinister issue that women face in our society. I failed to see the humor in it, Hunt-Wells said in an interview on CBC Radio's Metro Morning Show today. It makes light of a very serious crime. Voyeurism is a crime in Canada. Hunt Wells, a teacher and mother of two, said she has researched the issue since discovering the decoration and said voyeurism can often escalate into sexual assaults, including rape. This is not a harmless crime, she said. CBC raised the issue of Home Depot over the weekend and the store agreed it wasn't appropriate. We agree that this is not in line with our core values and when we heard, took immediate action and are currently in the process of removing this product from our assortment, said Home Depot spokeswoman Emily DiCarlo. We've reached out to advise the customer of our actions in a 
apologize. We're sorry for any offense that was caused. Woman applauds Home Depot's decision. Huntwell says Home Depot made the right decision, but the scary peeper creeper should never have appeared on store shelves. I'm glad to see that Home Depot is responsive to change based on customer feedback, she said. Huntwell's also said the decoration shouldn't be dismissed as a gag that's in keeping with typical Halloween fun. I would say to people that say it's just a joke, there are a lot of things in our society that have just been a joke over time, she said. Racial jokes, cultural jokes. It takes some talking and thinking to realize, RJ, this is serious. It takes some talking and thinking to realize that maybe we need to be more sensitive. The people that commit this crime are not harmless people. Fuck you. So I wonder why she doesn't have any problem with like, I don't know, Michael Myers masks, Leatherface masks, Jason Voorhees masks. Because it's like... Jack-o'-lanterns, candy... Um, going out past 6 p.m. I don't know anything. Well, like, like what's like what's this lady's deal? Like, she says people aren't sensitive enough. I think Jesus Christ. Like, I think we've gotten way past that point. Like, plus, I also think it's kind of bullshit that this huge conglomerate company, Home Depot, caves into like one, one lady one who said who says supposedly after she saw the item, she went and did research, and voyeurism leads to sexual assault. Like, I'm pretty sure if you went and asked like. Some like criminal uh, psycho or like sexual assault uh, counselors or like anything like that or like psychologists. Like I'm pretty sure they would tell you like, yeah, sometimes it probably can lead to that, but it's not like it's not like it would always lead to that. That's the same like argument for <laughs> like guns and stuff like 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 you know what I mean? Or, or what's that guy in Bowling for Columbine who's like, it's like people. Not everyone who sees the car commercial will go out and buy them, but some do. <laughs> but like the reverse of what he was trying to say mm -hmm. that's silly yeah it's like i don't know if it's like what are, are children going to see the scary peeper creeper and be like i want to be one of those and then they'll really peep and then they'll be like now i'm going to rape that bitch sure why wouldn't you i mean well, one thing leads to the other oh, right well then maybe she's right well, I, I, uh, I'd like to ask this lady, like, what are appropriate Halloween decorations? But I, I uh, based on this, I have to assume she's one of those squares that doesn't celebrate Halloween. Oh, man. Like, I remember when I was in, uh, like, elementary school and we would do, like, Hall Halloween activities, like, yeah. do pumpkins and stuff. There was this one girl in my class who wasn't allowed to do that. And I always felt, like, so bad for her because it was like, it's like, this isn't, like, evil. It's fun. We're just like drawing turkeys and shit. Yeah, I think I remember like that was like you probably the uh, Jehovah Witness kid or something like that. Maybe yeah. that's usually how that one went. Yeah, no, my uh, my uh, one uh, Halloween experience in a uh, small town was basically uh, there was like I, a friend of mine in elementary school had started inviting me to something called the Pioneer Club. And I thought, cool, mm -hmm. it's just like something to go to like Boy Scouts or something. I didn't think anything of it, but I didn't realize it was basically some like crypto Christian group that mm -hmm. was getting together. Um, and I just remember like one of the things was like, there'd be like, oh, we get to do all these activities and, and do whatever. But then they just, they try to entwine some like some Bible stuff at the end for like the last half hour. And this mm -hmm. was like one of those things where I was like, I, I was not raised in the church, near a church with uh, mm -hmm. Christianity on the radar. It just didn't happen. Um, my parents didn't have time to care about that crap. And so I was presented this stuff and I was like, oh, it's like boring stories with people with beards in the desert. This sucks. Like that was like basically my view. And like I just remember right. like uh, like on TV, like I'd see like ads for like uh, – 
the Church of Latter-day Saints. And I was always like, oh, it's like these really weird, like, things that are shot, like, with Vaseline. And everyone seems really, like, clean and smiling and mm-hmm. happy. It's kind of weird and boring. Um, so this group, though, on Halloween, they had certain rules about what you could could and couldn't dress as. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you had to, like, really, uh, like, I don't know. I remember, like, there you couldn't be this, you can't be this. And then it's like, well... I thought, oh, I'll be like a chef, I guess. And I dressed mm-hmm. like, because my dad was a like a sous chef. And so we had some clothes. Aww. And so I dressed as that. But those little Christian kids were just pieces of shit. And yeah. we're like, oh, what are you supposed to be a fucking cook? <laughs> like they were making fun of me. And it's that like, was probably me. <laughs> probably you, you son of a yeah. bitch. Yeah, because I, I was going to say to elaborate even, like we were doing all those Halloween things. And I, I actually went to a Catholic school, but uh like we were allowed to be whatever the fuck you wanted. Like I, I remember one kid was just like a boner or something. So I don't know. It was just it was just that one lady or that one girl who wasn't allowed to do things. And so it, she was at a Catholic school, but I don't think she was Catholic. But I do remember trick or treating with my uh, my Catholic school chums and making making the f- fuck fun or making fun out of people dressed like chefs and uh, boring things like asparagus and uh, basically kids like you. The asparagus kids. Yeah, you had it coming is what I'm saying. No, I always wanted to dress as like monsters. Like probably my real costume at like, because this was like not Halloween night. This would have been like a couple days before. So we had to like make a second costume and go through this effort. And then it's like, oh, were you dressed like that, homo? It's just like a good old fashioned 90s horror movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Ghoul School. Ghoul School. Yeah. Or like the yeah. one other movie I didn't mention I watched, Last Slumber Party. Man, that movie's just like, this girl, she's just calling everybody like just fag and homo. It's just like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it really the last one? Uh, how, how come they couldn't have any more? Because they're all dead, RJ. Doesn't mean you can't get down in the afterlife. Didn't you even read your Bible? Jeez. I did not, actually. Oh, well, heathen. Yep. I'm, I'm fucked. Well, anyways, that creeper thing is dumb. Yep. Uh, so. Boo to boo, you, lady. Boo worms. Yeah. Halloween decorations don't make light of rape, maybe. It's like skeletons and fucking like broomsticks and a pumpkin. Yeah. Like it's the most like uh, unassuming, like nonviolent things you can get. Well, it's just like that one like um, lady from – uh, last week talking about uh, Silence of the Lambs and like it's it, this movie won an award and it depicts women being skinned and it's like yep it does yeah. I don't think it's like saying you you hey folks you should go out there and finish the job that mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill started yeah I, people have funny ideas Jared there's funny ideas mm-hmm. well I think that's enough for now I think people want more more criterion sex. criterion sex abs abs diapers diapers well there's a little bit of maybe those three in our samurai trilogy <gasps> sweet transition bro yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh hiroshi yeah. inugaki coming at you after the break
関ヶ原からの大きなロマンの幕は開く放送一年制作委員長東方の総力を結集したユースオーカレー全ての人々に強い感動を叩き込むイーストマンカラーによる総天然食事大巨編出演者は
And we're back, and we're talking the Samurai Trilogy, directed by Hiroshi Inogaki. Hey, RJ, the first yeah. film in these movies, it won the Best Foreign Film Oscar in 1954. For real? Yeah. Hey, you know what? Also came out in 1954 <laughs> from Toho, that the studio Godzilla. put out, and Seven Samurai. What? That, and neither, it, this, that thing won over Seven Samurai and Gojira? Yep. Mother fucker. Yep. Well, so uh, um, let's uh-huh. talk. Let's start somewhere here. Let's talk about Samurai One. RJ's going to eat some Halloween candy, as huh? promised. Samurai One, Mushashi Miyamoto, from 1954. Mm-hmm. Friend Takizo and Madahachi have decided to leave their farming lifestyle and become soldiers instead of finding great success and glory in doing that their side of the battle uh Sekigarahara, is routed and they are left to their own devices and kind of uh, fugitives in their own land on the run from the other army they wind up shacking up with a widow and their daughter her daughter the widow and daughter are in the employ of some resident bandits where they are basically looting the corpses of fallen soldiers and samurai which is kind of also brought up in seven samurai i guess uh, Takezo, uh, having a knack for the fight game, kicks some bandit bitches out of there. Uh, Fuck yeah. Takezo's boy, Matahachi, he is misled by the ladies who are both all about Takezo, but they get their feelings hurt and shot down when Takezo turns them uh, down. And now they're telling Matahachi that, that he tried to rape them and try to get in their pants, whatever. And so, uh, he's just like, oh, well, I guess uh, we should get out of here. I mean, that guy's a bad dude. Um, mm-hmm. so they, they take on out, they take off. Um, this is of importance just because, uh, Matahachi, he is engaged to a lady back in their own village named Otsu, and she's going to be a major figure in the rest of this stuff. Uh, so Takizo, he's abandoned. He heads back home, runs afoul of, uh, his own village's roadblock, uh, which is, I guess, preventing, uh, bandits and other scumbags from coming in. And he just wades through these people like chumps. I kind of like compared that whole scene to like how I play Middle Gear Solid or like other like, oh. like or like World of Warcraft or something where it's like, yeah. oh, I have to like get to this thing and you just, you just try to run right through, but <laughs> usually you die, but he doesn't. Yeah. He, he has great success. Um, yeah, he makes it. So yeah, uh, well that, that kind of puts him in ill favor with the village community. And uh, plus since like their side lost that war, uh, he is now a fugitive. Um, so the whole town's after him for being a piece of crap. Uh, Matahachi's mother thinks that, uh, Takizo's, uh, killed him or like left him to die. And so she's mm-hmm. against him. Uh, Otsu thinks that, uh, he, same thing. Um, Takizo's relatives are rounded up to basically use his bait. Uh, that doesn't work. Uh, yep. Then, uh, a Buddhist priest named Takuan, he winds up being the man to capture Takizo. Uh, and this, of course, involves uh, poor Takizo, who I guess I haven't mentioned was played by Toshiro Mufune. Uh, mm-hmm. He gets strung up and left hanging off of a rope on a, off a tree for several days through rainstorms, not being fed. Basically, uh, the whole idea is to break him down to build him back up from being this sort of like wild maniac who's still got some pretty good talent, I guess, behind him with that sword. Uh, Otsu, she can't take this brutality any longer. She just thinks this Buddhist priest or a Zen priest, he's just like a 
prick. He's just a, a sadist. And so she uh, helps him get down, and they're running off. They go to a castle. Some hijinks ensues. Taquan uh, tricks uh, poor Takizo into an attic uh, in of this castle, which has no exit, and mm-hmm. just locks him in this room with some books. He is left to his own readings, learnings, enlightenments for three years. I'm not sure how that whole food situation worked out. I was going to say, there was no toilet in there either. Yeah, so things got stinky. But when he emerges, he is bestowed his new samurai name of one Musashi Miyamoto. He takes off, leaving a message for Otsu of AFK. So that is the first movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Just a little bit of background. So uh, this whole movie deal, it is based on the uh, novel, I guess, uh, called Musashi. I guess it wound up being a book uh, by Iji Yoshikawa. Uh, it came out, I guess, in Japanese in a Japanese newspaper in 1935, uh, and it's about the Mushashi Miyamoto, who is an export swordsman, uh, Ronin, kind of a, I guess a Renaissance man before the Renaissance, uh, who lived from between 1584 to 1645. But some people think he actually died in 1580, so it's neither here nor there. I guess no one really exactly knows. Uh, I guess the best way to think about him would be he's kind of like a Wyatt Earp character to America. Uh, he's just like his famous historical folk hero uh, whose life has been adapted into film countless times. Uh, with Musashi, I guess he, he would wind up fighting 60 duels known. Uh, and then uh, after I mean, and he fought these 60 duels by the age of 30 and spent his final years uh, being an artist, sculptor, uh, wrote the his fairly famous uh, book of five rings it's a book of strategy tactics and philosophy which i guess is still used uh in some business circles and martial arts circles um so yeah yeah while killing dudes as legally as anyone ever could he was also a fine artist doing some nice uh i guess ink washes and prints and stuff like that like wood sculptures if uh, the movies are ac- historically accurate mm-hmm um, so RJ, what, what are your thoughts about the first movie? Oh, sorry. I just seen my candy. Um, I think the first movie is pretty good. Yeah. Um, me too. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. Um, the first thing I thought was, which was, I thought was really cool was that it was Toho and I didn't know that. So I when think I saw they the have like Toho, such a nice logo, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like when that pot, cause, uh, I'll say very, I'll be very like blunt about it. Well, anyways, it's no secret. I've been really, I was like dreading these three movies because I've been really w- busy with work. And I was like, I don't know when I'm going to fit in any of these things. And it, it, they didn't really interest me at all either. So I was like really not looking forward to them. But um, when that Toho logo popped up, I was like, yeah. You perked I was up. Like, all right. Yeah, I was like, all right, man, Toho. Um, a few like things about the movie in general that I thought were really good. Like all the set or all the um, filming locations were super cool. Like with the mountains and the landscapes and just everything like that I thought was awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was like a sequence where there was like um, lightning and there was like, it seemed like there was like filters on the camera. I thought that was really cool too for some reason. <laughs> okay. I don't know. What, I don't know what it was. Uh so like just as like things in general, like I, I just liked, like I said, like the scenery and I thought the story was pretty solid. And uh, one thing I really like and it's like the series in general, but it's really shown in this first movie is that uh, the passage of time is just like 
it's assumed that the audience gets that. And so they don't like really belabor the point where it's like, it's like, Oh yeah, time is passing. Like it'll be one scene. And then the next scene, it'll be like two years later. And it's just like, I think it gives the audience a little bit of credit. They're like, you'll figure it out. Like, so they don't like, they don't like basically have to spell it out that it's like, yeah, this is, this is later. Yeah. Well, especially in the second movie, there's a big jump in time between like the first scene, even to like the next scene. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I thought all that stuff was really good. And then there were certain some individual elements I liked a lot. Like there was a lot of uh, there was a scene in the rain and there was a lot of hot abs. Um, There's a lot of diapers and like oh, naked. Priests. Yeah, lots, lots of Japanese style ginch. Yeah, lots of ginch, lots of ginch. Um, I thought the punishment that uh, Takitsu gets where he gets hung up in a tree for like four or five days. I thought that was awesome. I think that's what we should do now yeah um to people if it was up to me uh and i thought that he really deserved it because he was kind of a prick uh like when that scene where it shows him and he just like rides that horse to exhaustion Mm. like what an asshole like what are you doing yeah uh so he was a prick um and that other guy's like so miserable like (laughs) he's so pathetic oh yeah he could be in your sad bastards list he is pretty uh, sad the second one more than the first one, but yeah. I thought he was pretty pathetic. Like the he sees his like fiance, and the first thing he says to her is, uh, "Listen, you're engaged to me, aren't you?" And it's like, what? It's like like I know like it's exposition kind of, but I was like, it's such a weird fucking thing to say. It's like, hey, you know you're like my girlfriend, right? It's like, yeah, okay. So, anyways, <laughs> anyways, no, I, I I did like it. Like, um, I thought the story was pretty good. Some pretty cool samurai stuff, but I think the the big the big appeal to this is just like all uh, all the scenery, all the like actual nature shots. Like uh, they do a lot of nice like silhouettes with like rivers and trees and mountains and stuff like that. It's wicked. Yeah. So that stuff's all really cool. Um, I don't love this movie or anything. I don't think I'll ever rewatch it, but I did enjoy watching it the one time. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. I'll, I'll I'll save my comments, I guess, because they're more like in reference to like the whole trilogy as a whole. You son of a bitch! You just got, uh, you got me to talk about the one movie. See, I didn't even know if you were gonna do one movie or all three, and then you just you pulled the you pulled the wool over my eyes. Oh yeah, I know. I'm I'm a bastard that way. I can't I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> eat your snacks, boy. I'll start read talking about Samurai Two: Duel mm-hmm. at Ishijoji Temple from 1955. The movie opens up with Mushashi facing off against his first of what will be 60 duels. Uh, his opponent this outing is your standard chain and sickle style fighter. We've all seen that before. Uh, needless to say, Mushashi kills the son bitch. The search for enlightenment, enlightenment, I guess, is a past splatter in other guy's blood. The samurai formerly known as Takizo makes his way to Kyoto, where his former best bud, Matahachi and Oko, the daughter of the widow from way back when, are living a decent life. Uh, Otsu is her, Takizo is in Kyoto, and has hustled her way there too. Uh, we're getting a real uh, confluence of characters uh, mm-hmm. all showing up here in Kyoto. Of course, uh, Mushashi has no time for the ladies on his, on his bloody path. Um I guess the the whole bit becomes. Uh, I guess the whole bloody bit thing becomes a point of interest in the film as uh, Mushashi goes to get his sword repaired by a swordsmith who is into the philosophical aspect of the samurai code and sees the sword as part of the samurai soul. And he takes issue with the fact that Mushashi, uh, probably my favorite line in the second movie, be, him being a killer dressed as a samurai. 
Oh um, yeah, yeah. That's good uh, stuff. Yep. Uh, Mushashi picks up. Uh, he, I guess he picks on the uh, Yoshioko school to establish himself as not just your regular Ronin and challenges the master of the school to a duel. Uh, long story short, the master of the school uh, Shijiro accepts, but his followers don't want this battle to go down as they basically see his defeat uh, as the end of their school. And their, like, livelihood, I guess, like, living in the comfort of being in a school. So they scheme mm. sort of a large-scale ambush uh, on the usually late-arriving Mushashi. Uh, Mushashi outthinks them by showing up early. <laughs> and he gets the drop on 80 men. So it's like, oh, I got you 80 men I now have to fight. Instead of, like, you guys surprising me, I got the surprise mm-hmm. on you. And so, yeah, now uh, we get to see a one-on-80 fight. Uh, through a rice paddy field, um, and you get to see him uh, discover the power of dual wielding, um, which I guess becomes Just like in Halo too. Yeah, and I guess this becomes uh, I, yeah. What is it uh, in D and D? I think it's like weapons proficiency, dual wielding, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, something yeah. really nerdy. Uh, and then Mushashi's staple move is the dual wielding thing. It's like Nikakatsu or something like that. I don't know. Finally, yeah, you do. Finally, old Musashi does confront Shijiro, the uh, head of the school, and instead of just killing the clearly inferior fighter, he just leaves him crippled but breathing. What a nice guy. Um, mm-hmm. I guess uh, that's mercy. Musashi, still a bit bloodied and bat- uh, battered after fighting 81 dudes in one go, he gets taken care of, sweet stalking Otsu on a lovely soundstage setting. Um, yep. I'll throw out there too that there is some more Matahachi and Osu stuff and that we get introduced to the final boss of the trilogy one Sasaki Kojiro mm-hmm. the baddest ass of them all mm-hmm. and we get to know him as the guy who cannot wait to go sword to sword with Mushashi but that's going to have to wait till Samurai 3 mm-hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on Samurai 2 RJ are you going to pull the same bullshit that you did last time Am I going to talk about this and then you're going to just well, flip back? You did a pretty good job of capturing my own thoughts, I think. So okay. uh, you just keep going there. All right, man. I'll fucking do it then if that's what you got to do. Yeah. Um. So whereas I think for the first one where the big pull for me was all like the actual filming locations and stuff like that, this one is the opposite. It's all the sets. Back lots it's and sound stages. Back lots and sound stages. But yep. they look fucking great. Uh, I th- I thought all the sock or all the socks, all the all the socks. I thought all the sets looked awesome. Like uh, especially like that first opening set. There's like a pagoda, like a real small pagoda or something, and you got that sunrise or and I don't know. That stuff was all super cool. Um what what else I was gonna say? Oh, there's some some scenes with like snow falling, like later in the rice paddy stuff. I thought that was wicked. Just like really good filmmaking. Um, and then I really like the theme of this movie. So like I had a hard time uh, figuring out which out of the three what I like more. Like I do consider it just one really long movie, but I think one and two are pretty much on par. As almost one of them is the best of the three. I think. But, I agree um, with that. I, yeah, uh, one or two. I I think my I lean towards two, but uh, one is just as good. It depends on what you prefer. Um, but I really like the themes in the second movie. Like it's just a lot of like really petty, cruel people. Uh, everyone is like setting up other people for failures. There's like ambushes. There's corruption. There's like uh, those mob. There's like uh, fuck. I'm saying like a lot. Uh, the school has like, like a mob of 
assassins just going around like killing like hooded people they're like is that him oh no it's not him and then they run away um so stuff like that stuff was really cool uh so so i don't know and then you see hitachi who's just a huge piece of shit and he's like miserable and pathetic and um that stuff was really good too so i think the theme in this second movie is just people suck life is horrible and everything's against you kind of so I think that's really cool. And then you have some other fun stuff, like the final boss, as you called him. Uh, when I saw him, I wrote down a note, and it said, boyfriend's hairdo, with an exclamation point, because mm-hmm. he has the craziest hair. His eyebrows are, like, painted on angular, and his hair, is, he, he's got some sort of bob or something like that, which I think is pretty funny. Um, what are some other things? Oh, yeah, Hitachi's playing a real weird-ass guitar when he's all sad. So... That was weird. Um, I think the one lady figures out that uh, Musashi Miyamoto is Takizo really or way too quick for never seeing him or anything, just mm. hearing stories. She figures that out, and it's like, how could you ever figure that out? This guy's <laughs> been like in an attic for three years, and then he was like with the monks for some other time after that. So I don't know how that lady could have figured that out. Um, the rice patty scene at the end is wicked. Uh, I think they show one thing pretty cool where, uh, I think one of the things like people might have problems with is that he does take on the huge crowd and he, he does it more or less without taking any hits or anything like that. But there is one scene where he's like in the rice patty where it sets up that scene and there's an arrow in the back of his thigh. And I didn't even see that happen, but the fact that it's there later, I thought that was really cool. Uh, and then, I don't know, there's, there's some good lines in this movie. Like there's one where Takizo goes, or Musashi goes to like a temple and, the the reading on the front is, I think it says, uh, respect your deities, do not rely on them or something like that. And I was like, you know, that's pretty good. You should, uh, you should pass that out in the real world maybe. <laughs> so I think that's all I really got to say about this one. But um, I think if I had to pick, I would say number two is my favorite. But I do think two and one are equally as good. Okay. Um, so. Like, actually, one question I had, I should have maybe even asked earlier, was uh, <clears throat> when did you realize this movie had Toshiro Mufune in it? Uh, oh, it was late. I know. Late. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought he's, he's I like was unrecognizable like, at first. I totally didn't recognize him in the first movie until like, yeah. I think I started like, Looking at the movie, like while I was watching it, like just like reading like the Wikipedia thing or something, I was like, Tashir Mifune. I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. that's oh my god. So of course, like, um, like my line like lately has been like, yeah, Tashir Mifune is like the like Robert De Niro to like Kurosawa, mm-hmm. Scorsese or whatever. But I guess like actually Mifune and the uh, uh, Hiroshi Inagaki, they actually worked together more than uh, Mifune and Kurosawa did, mm-hmm. uh, which is like kind of crazy and speaks to how many movies uh, Mifune was actually in. Um, uh yeah yeah i'm i have his uh page up right now and he was in 95 movies that's, that's a lot that's pretty good considering i think like, that's more than abe vagoda has <laughs> let's not get crazy it's definitely not as much as klaus kinski yeah that man did everything for because mm. he just wanted money um i guess like yeah the other thing i'll talk about too i guess is like uh with uh uh inigaki the director i guess he was a silent film actor who uh turned into basically a samurai director uh like in like 
1927 or something like that. And like he just made like tons of samurai movies. Uh, in fact, he made two Mishashi trilogies. Um, he, he there, there, there's two, yeah, he made two trilogies. Uh, there's one like that's like a black and white in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he made this one, which was like him revisiting. I'm not sure if it's like a direct remake, like beat for beat. Uh, but he also actually did a trilogy about, uh, Kojiro Shisake, the, uh, the final boss. Uh, so he has his own, uh, trilogy and apparently it like, I guess I assume it ends the same way. Cause Toshiro Mufune also plays Musashi in that. Hmm. Uh, and there's actually, he actually wound up making a fourth film about, uh, uh, Kojiro Sasake, uh, in the sixties. And uh, the other thing he made too was he I guess he made the best adaptation of the Forty Seven Ronin story, at least one not starring Keanu Reeves. Oh, I was gonna say I thought it was the Keanu Reeves one. Oh, but no, you're, you you also missed one. I think I'm pretty sure that guy also made Footloose. Oh, okay. He's, the the he's, new the new one that came out like two years ago, the oh. remake, not the Kevin Bacon one. Oh, I would have hated to have been on that set. So I, I'm pretty sure that's his uh mm-hmm. his legacy. Yeah. Um. I guess the other, these are just some random notes, I guess. Uh, so do you get the sense that Mushashi's age in these three films? Like, cause apparently like he like had his first duel potentially when he was like mm-hmm. th- uh, 13 or when he went to battle, he was like 13 years old <laughs> and like, okay. So yeah. to show Mifune, the 13 year old uh, in the first movie, that's why we didn't recognize him. Um, yeah. But then like, I guess like, yeah, in the second movie, he's supposed to be like 21 and then, yeah, in the final movie, at, uh, at the the, du- like the duel, twenty nine. Oh, remember, I thought, I, remember, I, thought but, I saw some uh, some gray wings on uh, the side of his head. But well, maybe you got to think just back. When, if you were living back in like the sixteen hundreds, you probably had a very stressful life with not a whole lot of nutrition, and you probably aged a lot faster. So mm-hmm. there's some maybe something to that, you know. But yes, yeah, that's that's movie magic, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the one one of the I was watching the uh, uh, special features on the discs, like that's the one interview. Uh, what's the guy's name? It's like it's like a hilarious like generic name. It's like Sean <laughs> Close, Michael Scott Wilson. So, yeah um so but, not a real person yeah and he was like talking about like there's like this concept of like yeah the shugiosha which is just like the wandering ronin samurai character because basically the idea was that you would wander around and eventually you'd get like uh hired on by a lord and basically become a full-time employee you wouldn't just do this but that's yeah. that's why mushashi's a little different than everybody else mm-hmm. he's all about honing his craft of killing you <laughs> He's about to hone in a craft, all right. Yeah. Hey-oh. All right. Uh, well, uh, we'll just finish talking a little bit about Samurai 3 here, and then we'll mm-hmm. we'll get into some of my thoughts on the movies. Um, okay. So this is Duel at Ganru Island from 1956. Uh, Musashi is through with this wandering shit. The Shogun wants him yeah. as a teacher and vassal. Sasaki Kajiro wants his duel, but Musashi just wants to raise vegetables. Obviously, you can't be raising no vegetables in a samurai movie long before bandits arrive, though. So Musashi gets to do that uh, while he waits a year for that big final duel with Kujiro. Uh, Musashi has grown tired of his killing ways, but it seems Kujiro is just getting his uh, kill and roll on. He takes Musashi's spot, offered by the Shogun. Um, he starts building up his own reputation as being a big-time killer badass. Um, and then, yeah, I mean the movie's ending it's like they go off to ganru island to have their big final duel um and if you've seen kill bill volume one uh the ending is pretty well the same (laughs) yeah it's that's the reference that's tarantino 
and that's that's the end of the movie. You get the big fight on a beach. Um, so yeah, what did you think yep. of the third movie? Um, I think this one's the uh, the least good one of the bunch. Is it because uh, it's the longest? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's because it's the longest. I think it's also because at this point, uh, I just wanted this wanted it to be over. Mm. Um, so I have the least amount of things to say about this one because, to be honest, like when I was watching it, I was like, no, I pretty much got these movies figured out. Yeah, I was like, I'm fine. Uh, there were j- just a few things, though. Uh, in this movie, I figured out that uh, most of samurai fighting is just shouting and very jerky lunges. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much what this entire movie is, is two dudes standing off. One shouts, the other one jerks, the other one shouts, the other one jerks. That's it. So that's what samurais did, I guess. Um there's also a girl-on-girl axe fight in this. Hardly. Aww. Yeah. Cat call, kind of. So that's worth mentioning. Um, this one also had the first appearance of a super old monk. Uh, I was... In, I just missed it because I was bored. Um, but I thought this one was the first one that had like an actual like real old Fu Manchu monk. Like, Ugh. So that was fun. Um, and then just one more scene I'll talk about and it's pretty, or actually one thing I really liked, I did like the sunset silhouette battle at the end. Of course. It's just beca- of course, because it's beautiful because it's <laughs> amazing. Everybody would like that. But, um, one thing that I thought was really funny and kind of cool was, uh, when Musashi and his like disciple are in that, uh, inn and they're eating and then the guy comes in and he's like, I'm a big tough guy here. Uh, and I didn't hear him say it at first. I thought he said he's the uh, the house dealer. And uh, Musashi replies, horse dealer, huh? And like it doesn't look up. And I thought that was super, super fucking funny because I thought he was cracking like a joke. Like he's like, I'm the house dealer. And he's like, horse dealer, huh? And I thought it was really funny. But then later I was they're like, hey, you're the horse dealer. And I was like, oh, he was a horse dealer. I was like, that's not as good of a joke. Um, and then there's a scene where, like, so, like, he's, like, trying to intimidate him. And then Musashi's, like, catching flies with chopsticks. Yeah. Uh, and all I could think is, holy fuck, there are so many goddamn flies in that guy's noodles. It's fucking disgusting. When, like, it, free- it stops, it pauses on his noodles for a minute, and there's, like, fucking maybe eight flies in it. It's like, you got to throw that food out, man. It is not good. So my big takeaway of Samurai 3 is uh, don't eat fly noodles. There you have it. And that's it. Okay. Well, my take on the trilogy as a whole, because I I think I made a mistake in deciding to watch all three of these movies in one sitting, essentially, all on uh, a Saturday afternoon. Um, So, yeah, I'd say that these things beat me down pretty hard. Um, But, I mean... I don't know if I'm being unfair, but like, I just like there are average Western movies. I think this is just an average samurai movie. If you want to take it as mm-hmm. like a five hour movie. Um, I've read like people kind of refer to it as like, it's like the gone with the wind of the, of like samurai movies. And I yeah. mean, like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Like other than it's like, well, yeah, it's got like matte paintings and like sound sets and stuff like that. But, um, and I guess it's got yeah. kind of a love story, but 
I don't know. Like that movie's like it's got Scarlet and it's like and it's got Rhett. This movie doesn't really have any of those things. I mean, I started like I mean, mm-hmm. are, were you familiar? Are you familiar at all with like uh, Mushashi outside of these movies? Have, okay, For, first time I heard about it. Okay, so like my knowledge of that of the man is actually uh, Viz uh, put out a uh, the Japanese manga called Vagabond, which is sort mm-hmm. of like doing the exact, it covers the exact same territory, adapting the um, uh, Musashi novel, but like kind of, you know, making it more as a comic book sort of thing. And it was like really right. well drawn. And I remember reading like the first few volumes of it, but then I think at the time, like Viz was really bad at keeping things in print. So I kind of just dropped off because I couldn't get the next few volumes. But I remember being like pretty interesting. And like when I was like reading about Musashi uh, while preparing for this episode, I was like, this guy sounds so interesting. And like mm-hmm. these movies don't make him seem all that interesting. He just seems like, uh, I don't know. I feel that like if this movie were made now, or like even if it had been made like 30 years later um, or like if it was made now, like this, the style of the the sophistication of storytelling would be so far ahead of what this was doing. Because this mm-hmm. I felt like was very meat and potatoes in presentation. I didn't get right. the sense of like a tr- uh, uh, a real sense of uh, him being in the pursuit of enlightenment at all. Like I never felt like that was like a driving force for him other than I was being told that was his interest. But mm-hmm. it's just like, it doesn't come off as very earnest. Like this whole idea that, oh, he gets locked in a room for three years and we don't see any of it. It just transitions out of him, like out of that. And he's fine. He's like all studied up. It's like, God damn it. If that's the point of your movie, it should be like, I don't know the a driving force of like your story to show depict that in some way to so you can like mm-hmm. get into his head and like you get those that beat of him like getting the lights turned on I guess yeah um, and I was thinking about too like there's like sort of a uh, if you've seen Old Boy there's like the same thing where like a character gets locked mm-hmm. in a room and kind of forced to like be introspective about himself uh, yeah and it's like sort of like so I think that's like a, maybe like a uh, not, uh, not, I guess it's Asian trope because uh, old boy is Korean, but like, I wonder if like how many times that pops up in like stories, um, in that part of the world, if that's just yeah. like a thing or it's like a reference to the Musashi story, I guess, or, mm-hmm. I, but I think, I don't even know if that's actually something that really happened. I don't think it is. I think it's totally made up. <laughs> yeah. It sounds made up. So yeah. Like, I just, so I don't know, but I mean, it's an interesting idea. I really actually like the idea of that, but it's like, I want to see the movie that focuses on those things and this idea of like a man just going through people, killing them. And like, right. we, we see him do that once and then we hear how he's really good at it offhand and then we see the big battle scene which is kind of Mm -hmm. what samurai movies do they have the big fight scene um Mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know like there's nothing about this that resonates with me at all i just just feel that it's like very uh yeah middle middle of the road um so i was thinking about like i mean because i guess you can compare like these uh samurai movies to like uh american westerns and there's um this Mm -hmm. one like script writer named frank grubber uh maybe gruber uh he wrote like uh these kind of like his rules of like there's seven kinds of westerns like every western Mm -hmm. story is seven stories uh and i I copy and pasted them here for my convenience there's the union pacific story the ranch story the Empire story, the revenge story, mm-hmm. the cavalry and Indian story, and the outlaw story. And then there's like also the Marshall story. 
Um, mm-hmm. For me, like if I go back and look through all the Westerns that I feel really strongly about, or even samurai movies, it's always the revenge story. This movie is not a revenge story at all. Like there's there's nope. not that at all. It's kind of like not a driving force. And I think you need something like that to have that hook. I'm not sure what the uh, equivalent samurai story this one tells, because it's basically the story of one man's life and it's sort of a bi- bi- biographical take on it. But if I was watching the exact same movie by uh, an American about like uh, an equivalent figure, like in the West, like a white or story told the exact same way. I wouldn't be terribly impressed with it, especially at five hours. Uh, yeah. we, especially in that, the third movie, it is just long. Like that's a whole, like the whole farming thing. It's just like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really pay off to like, it's this is about that duel. And you, you mean a uh, discount, uh, seven samurai. Well, far- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that whole side story. I was just like, so you're just gonna mm. half-ass rip off Seven Samurai? All right, oh, and it, it is so half-ass. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Just I thought I'd yeah. add that. Um, there's like the soap opera stuff that just doesn't work. Um, yep. Like none. Of, it just it could be it could be done better. Everything, all the things like I don't like about it. It's just because I've seen it done better. Um, it's done mm-hmm. fine, but it's not like memorable. It's not for me to recommend it to anybody. Um, Right. Trying to think. So, I mean, things I liked, I guess. So, uh, the priest from the first movie, uh, Takuan, I thought he was great. I love that character in, um, like, uh, Japanese literature whenever I encounter them. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. this cruel character that you don't really understand. You can't fathom what his instruction is. But then, like, there's sort of like a heavy-handed, oh, it's because he was trying to teach me this. But it's like, is that really the best way you could have taught him? But it's it's always funny to see that in stories because it's not real. But it's like uh, Mm -hmm. something you'd... I don't know. You can gravitate toward. Uh, I think uh, the Sakura character uh, is really like the best part of the second and third movie, but there's not enough of him, I guess, to drive it. Um, I I don't feel like walking away from those three movies that I took much away from Mifune's uh, performance. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, like he's like it could have been anybody, like, and that's like the weird thing. Mm-hmm. I guess like because I mean maybe like a Kurosawa like really played against his type of character by making him do all these like maybe more memorable things in other stuff. Because yeah. like in a I guess in a few episodes we're going to be talking about High and Low, which is actually a modern or it's a contemporary story, um, and it stars uh, mm-hmm. Otashiro. Um, it's been a few years since I watched it, but I remember that movie being pretty excellent. So I'm kind of excited about seeing I'll that hold now. You to it. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, I'm not lying or my brain's not lying to me. Well, you do lie quite a lot. Um, like you're, you're the king of lies. Some people say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as far as like, yeah, I think my note here was like seven samurai is far more interesting technically. Like just like, oh, fuck uh, yeah. well, the, the one thing, okay. So uh, my, I have some little complaints about the Blu-ray set. So I figured that like, they would have put a little bit more work into the set, but all they have on the entire mm-hmm. three DVD or, or three Blu-rays is the like three 10 minute interviews with uh, Michael Scott Wilson. And like, yep. they're fine, but it's like, he's like, so Michael Scott Wilson from uh, what I gather is he's like, he is a biographer on Musashi, which is kind of strange that this like, white man is like this like more scholarly and known and like he's the best person to speak to but he speaks english and he was probably available and uh i guess i guess he's a fan of the Mm -hmm. movies enough he wrote a his essay that's actually in the little booklet that comes with the book uh with the movie um he just talks about the book of five rings um so he's like not really super engaged with the movie because it's like kind of like pretty like not 
true to the facts, I guess. But I don't know what that movie would be like if it were true mm-hmm. to the facts. Um, I will praise, though, the Stephen Prince uh, essay that comes with the uh, collection. It's like it's really good. I think Stephen Prince is going to pop up a few more times with Kurosawa because he wrote an entire book about Kurosawa. I think okay. he actually does a lot of future commentary tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and like his like, like his essay has like more information about uh like this movie in Inagaki than like anywhere else that I could find online. I was reading a lot of, because yeah. re- like, I felt like kind of like disappointed in, in myself that I was like, why don't I like these movies more? Like I thought <laughs> I'd like these movies more. And so I started trying yeah. to like read other people's reviews to see if something there would make me click with it. But nothing really convinced me that these movies are like any better than what I think, which is like, they're just mm-hmm. like, they're, they're okay. Yep. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're just there, man. Yeah, they're just an example of, hey, they're samurai movies. But uh, do do I think they're like Criterion level movies, whatever that means? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, no. Like they're definitely, I mean, there are better samurai movies in the Criterion collection, no doubt. Like we'll be getting to those. Um, and I think I talked about them on the Seventh Samurai episode. But yeah, like Sword yeah. of Doom, uh, the, the forthcoming release, Lone Wolf and Cub. I think those movies are even better, even though they're like, way more like just like they're grim like exploitation movies but i think they're like they are like and like boy one thing that these movies were okay one thing that this movie trilogy is definitely missing for a samurai is the violence of people getting killed with swords so yeah yeah that's like a i mean i guess like by the time we get to like something like sanjuro that's when you start hearing bone breaking on the soundtrack and like you get get a little bit more like realism in that regard because even seven samurai isn't quite there yet Um, no not yet but but like like what you're saying too like whenever someone dies in this movie it's like you see basically the sword pass like in their general direction and then they just fall over that's it yeah no it's the most you ever see yeah it's pretty lacking i think stephen prince kind of like tries to defend it saying it was an intentional decision but i'm like yeah Mm. i I just think it was not his taste to do something like that he didn't think about it in that way yet um no the geysers will come don't you worry um (laughs) better i'm taking it out of you buddy They'll it'll come pouring out all over the place. Um, can I can I um interrupt you for a second just to also add to your lack of being impressed with uh this package, this Criterion package? I was uh, very unimpressed with the package, like the literal package itself, mm. um, because it was one of those ones where like it's two DVDs on the same. Uh, side side of the case whereas like all the other criterions I have it's like the DVDs have individual spots on each yeah yeah, like on each side so for this one where it was like just like it doubles up like I I don't know it's a weird thing to like dislike but I was I'm so used to everything else or for all the other criterions I have that aren't like that I was like why'd they make this one like that that's weird yeah, so. no, I know. I remember when I actually got my copy in because I I did specifically order it for the for the show because mm-hmm. I figured, hey, it's Samurais, and uh, I figured I'd want to get it. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, yeah, the packaging, like even like the the drawn art style that accompanies the set. It's kind of mm-hmm. like it's okay. It, it's like definitely like probably a very. It's a very average package for a very average movie. Boom. Ooh, oh shit. Yeah. No. Yeah, something. I agree. Yeah. Like they're they're not bad movies. I wouldn't call them that. But the second, no. the, the third movie is definitely oh like way too long for what it is. Like it could have easily been like a half hour shorter. In fact, yeah. like yeah, I mean, I think you could probably 
edit all three of these movies down into something like half the length and probably come up with something pretty cool. It, um, yeah, well, it'd be what, a really solid single like two forty five three hour movie. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure like how that would look. I mean, I'd have to actually try doing it to find out if that were true or not. But mm-hmm. it feels like it wouldn't be that far off because I just I don't know. There's like definitely points in the second and third movie where I kind of zoned out, honestly. Yeah. Um, like where yeah. I was just like, I realized the movie finished. I'm like, oh, I didn't really write any notes down. And I started thinking back to the movies and I was like, huh, I don't really remember what happened in that movie except for those fight scenes. And there's a bunch of stuff in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to see who actually hates these movies. Okay. Uh, I, I picked a review from one review from each of the installments. All right. Lay it on me. One star by Rembrandt Q. Pumpernickel. Mm-mm. shooting your action scenes in one wide shot is a good instinct the best action sequences often employ this with hundreds of takes to make everything look both spontaneous and perfect at the same time the camera moves like one of the performers part of an elaborate physical dance but here it is so obviously lazy filmmaking the camera is set up on a tripod and left there sitting regardless of where the action is moving the action seems hardly choreographed at all plenty of people fall over without coming close to being hit and the action seems more like a lazy bar fight than something planned and choreographed this is a pretty clearly an action film, at least extended version of the training sequences of most Kung Fu movies. So why the director seems so uninterested in that aspect of the film is pretty mind-boggling. <clears throat> the film isn't only action, but a lot of those same problems still exist in the other parts. It has a very workmanlike feel to it. No angle or cut has a personal or surprising feel to me. About the only interesting thing in this film is Toshiro Mufune, and as other people have noted, he's much better in Seven Samurai, which also gives him a more interesting character arc and way better action, despite not being a traditional action movie. Yeah, I'm. I want to totally disagree with some of those points. Actually, I think that like it's not even like for a one star review. I mean, I don't. Even, it doesn't even sound like a lot of disdain. I think my one issue yeah. with it is like I find people sometimes just like say it looks like it was just shot with a tripod. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that, but uh, like I, I do think he makes some valid points. But I think I agree with what you were saying. Like I, I don't think his star rating is fitting with his and like the way he cuts it. Like. I agree with some of that stuff, but like, I, I don't think it's a one star movie either. So, no, no, no. Yeah, I've I've seen one stars, and uh, those usually star John Cena or uh, Morgan Freeman's eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get so to that for Samurai Two. We've got a two, two star review by by user Autour. Mm-hmm. There ain't no drama like a samurai drama because a samurai drama don't stop. While winding up the third hour of director Hiroshi Nagaki's epic snooze fest, I literally could not care less about any of the characters. It, you know what? I will give a tour props for at least using that expression correctly by saying I could not care less. There's yeah. like this weird fucking thing that people Couldn't. do where they say, say, I could care less. Yeah, I could care less. It's like, <coughs> that's like, no, okay, okay you so could. So less. it's not that bad then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this film is 100 minutes of nonstop pronouncements paraded by the cast. Who loves who? Why so-and-so is not a true samurai? Who will kill who? And who will shame who? With very little to hold your interest visually. For a while, I forgot which color each female character wore, so I had to pay extra attention for key name, dra- name drops in their dialogue to figure out which character was speaking. Mm. That's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I agree with that. Where, um, But it's not as much for this. Any movie with subtitles, I usually 
<coughs> don't pay attention to the names. And I, I'll, I'll even admit, I'm actually pretty bad for this. Even movies I am paying attention to, I, I often like glaze over the names because I have some sort of weird personality dysfunction where I don't, I don't pay attention to people's names. Even people I meet in real life, they'll tell me their name, and I swear to God, ten seconds later, I don't remember it anymore. My girlfriend thinks it's because I don't give a shit about anything in life, but uh, I think it's just uh, maybe I have a brain. Uh, impairment so what I was talking about was that yeah I agree with this guy I uh, I got lost a lot too on character names but it was like that one girl wore bells on her uh, kimono all the time so I was like okay I know that one she's always got the bells on mm-hmm. yeah so. it got kind of confusing with those like time jumps you were talking about yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> to conclude this um, this is one of the most boring films I've ever seen it's competently made like the first one but that can only get you so far <laughs> I sure. love I love how people write stuff. That's why I read these. Yeah. I'd say I might give this a second chance somewhere down the road, but that would involve five hours of my life to do it right. And unless the third part is a masterpiece, I don't see that ever happening. Well, yeah. Well, uh, if you yeah, if he wasn't into the second one, then <coughs> he's got no hope for the series. Yeah. Um, I've, I have seen some people say that the third one's the best. I don't know. They're it's, fucking wrong. It's so sub. I don't know. It's maybe it's subjective, RJ. I don't know. You're subjective. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this actually, this third review, uh, it's a two star review by uh, a fellow named Mike D'Angelo, who I'm like, wait, I actually recognize that name. He's actually a like professional film critic. So I was kind of like, whoa, two stars for a Criterion film. Uh, he actually gave it 38 out of 100, somewhere along the line. Huh. So, um, just give me a moment here. <coughs> God, Jesus, man, you you know you're really spoiling the show with all this bullshit. I've had this. I've, um, I've had this shit be cold for two weeks. It's- I think fans of the show are really going to take notice of this, and uh, you know, I don't think they're going to jive with what you're doing here. Oh man, it sucks. It's the it's the life of the podcaster. People can actually start keeping track of how long their uh, uh, makers are sick for. Mm, well, right now you're on for I think three years. I know. Is what it's going on. So Mike D'Angelo writes, serious question. Has there ever been a trilogy, bona fide, I mean, not just a film and its two sequels, that isn't widely considered a masterpiece? No matter how mediocre some or even all the films may be, people just swoon at the sheer triptychness of the whole affair. Excuse me? Can you repeat that word? (coughs) Triptychness. Triptychiness. Is that a made-up word? Well, it's it's a um, well triptych. You've heard the word triptych, right? Uh, are you speaking? Are you familiar? Slavic? With, are you are you familiar with diptychs? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm gonna I'm gonna ca- consider them as insults, and frankly, I'm offended. Well, diptych means two things, and triptych would mean three things. It's like it's Fuck a, off. You need to learn some art history. Talk to your girlfriend or talk to me. Art. You know what I think is art? A sunset, a rainbow, a beautiful butterfly. Anyway, this mm-hmm. final entry does nothing but stall for nearly two hours as Musashi postpones his inevitable face-off with the effeminate rival, which, again, has no emotional undercurrent whatsoever because it's strictly glory-seeking, in order to go be a humble farmer for a year, which, despite the presence of some bandits, is about as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> Sunrise Duel, when it finally arrives, is superbly elemental and suggests that Inagaki might have been something had he been a stronger judge of material. But the series yep. honestly needs Harvey Scissorhands... <laughs> <laughs> to okay. fashion one solid two-hour film from all the largely redundant and or monotonous footage. Oh, man. Now there he's com- now he's comparing me to Harvey Weinstein. 
Fuck. You're you're way thinner than Harvey Weinstein. Yep. That is that is true. Yeah. Oh man. Yep. Well, I don't know. That's I don't know. I don't disagree with any well, of those hate statements, yeah. but I don't hate this movie, nor would I say it's a two star like movie at all. No. But No, yeah. I I I'm I'm with you on this one where to be honest, the people who dislike this movie, I actually agree with a lot of what they're saying, but yeah. I think that they are a lot harsher on it than than needs to be. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, this they're like, oh, this movie sucks for these reasons. It's one star. It's like, eh, do you know what a one star movie is? Let's talk about Morgan Freeman's eyebrows for a second. Let's talk, you call Lawrence Kasdan and he'll let you know what a one star movie is for real. But no, I... I don't know. I agree with the criticisms, but I think the movies are way better than these people give credit for. Uh, I'm glad I watched them. I will never watch them again. So, see, and that, to me, that's kind of like almost the, like a ter- it's a terrible thing for the movie. It's like for me, it's like for me to be considered good, it has to be like you'd want to watch it again, right? Yeah, I or, guess. Or, or maybe not. Like maybe there's like no, you're yeah. I don't know. Like there's some movies that like I've given like you know five stars, like amazing movie. But at the same time, like ooh, do I want to watch that movie again? Like because there's like some stuff where it's like yeah, I love that experience. But then I think about it some more and I go, oh, I don't know if I really want to watch that. So I'm like, is that actually a five star movie? Would I go out of my way yeah. to like tell someone that you, like maybe we should always be watched at least once? That's kind of my mm-hmm. attitude. Um, well, oh, speaking of one star movies, I am actually I just pulled up my uh, ratings. Um, John Carpenter's The Ward. His last feature oh. film, yeah, that's a piece of crap. Uh, so oh, there you go, there bad. you go, John Carpenter. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but I am a, <laughs> I'm a big supporter of uh, Mr. Johnny C. So, well, it, just it, don't watch it, the word. Just don't. Okay. Don't that's watch fine. Halloween Five. Oh. Don't watch Red he, Sonia. Oh. Don't watch Free Jack. Oh, you're just naming movies now. Don't watch Proxy. Some people might try to tell you that Proxy is a really great horror movie. It is not good at all. It is horrendous. Wrong turn. One star from mm-hmm. this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. Anyway. Oh, and Steven Seagal movies? Just stay away. But he's a jujitsu master. Uh, yeah, until, uh, oh, what's his name? Um LaBelle choked him out and he shit his pants. And he pooped his pants? <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a perfectly um, biological response to uh, going unconscious. Yeah, that's what happens. But when you talk about how you're a badass, um, when you get choked out by an old man, uh, that's how it goes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yep, yep, yep. That wraps up uh, another discussion about the Steven Seagal and the Steven Seagal podcast. Um, Steven Seagal. Yeah. We're coming uh, for you, buddy. Yep. Yeah. And uh, stick around and uh, we'll promote some shit at you. Okay.
Well, RJ, an average episode for an average set of movies. Hmm? I can't hear you under all this candy. <laughs> you can follow us on the Twitter at Criterion Creeps. Email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com. We want that feedback, people. Yeah, I, I need I need emails to sustain my male ego. What I'd like is uh, people to start liking and on that uh, Criterion Creeps Facebook page if you're on Facebook because I want some conversations going on. I want to see some videos being posted. I want some dialogue. I want some back and forth. I want your memes. Yeah. We can talk about Harambe or whatever the fuck people meme about. Oh, don't do that. That's That stuff makes me so sad, Jarrett. <laughs> Like I, I'm like I'll say this about the Harambe stuff. I really, I'm really for like people being outraged about the what happened to that poor gorilla, but I really hate that it got taken on as like a bro fad, where like bros with visors and pullover shirts are like dicks out for Harambe. Woo! Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I, I think people should post on the Facebook. Post, po- tell me what you think about the uh, Samurai trilogy. Post to me your picture of the Pizza Hut you just got this night and next to your hot abs. That's what I want to see. Hot ab pics and Pizza Hut pics. Lay yeah. it on us. Yeah, and as far as like feedback and emails, defend to us why the Samurai Tillagy is great and why we suck. Why we're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, follow us on Instagram. Get all the good visuals of what we're watching, what we're thinking, our feelings. Jared, post a naked dude pictures on Instagram so if you're not you better go subscribe to that puppy yep especially if you like overweight men that's where you go my friends yeah we're on Letterboxd and mm-hmm. uh, I'm Jared Duncan he's Barnloaf over yonder and that SoundCloud Stitcher iTunes subscribe subscribe follow um, rate and review rate and review yes that would be review, outstanding review. Um, hey, if you leave a review, I will personally send you a picture of me eating Pizza Hut. That's a promise. That's a promise. Yeah, uh, RJ and I, we go for uh, lunch on Thursdays. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we get that, we will definitely deliver on that. If you leave, you email us so we have your contact information. Uh, I will send you a picture of me at the Pizza Hut buffet with Stu, the man, the myth, the legend. And uh, we won't see if I can, uh, you know, get into some hijinks when I'm at that Buffett. Buffett. Who are we going to hire for Stu? Uh, just a homeless guy off the street, I, I think. Oh, That's I probably think. the best bet. He probably, hopefully he likes Pizza Hut. Oh, yeah. And then homeless next people. week, we're going to get classy with a classy film that goes by the title of uh, 120 Days of Sodom, directed by Pier Paolo Pasolini. From 1975, as that is spine number 17 in this Criterion Creep. A few months ago, RJ, uh, I was talking about a movie I watched based on the work of and life of Marquis de Sade, and you looked at me like I was just making shit up. Speaking of shit, RJ, how do you feel about people eating shit in your movies? You're going to find out as we go back to fascist Italy for a plate of Pasolini. I hate it. I hate it. Bye, folks. Bye. Jared thinks he's so fucking cool, huh? With his cat, gets wet food. Who does he think he is? He thinks he's better than us? You hear that, Hayes? Jared thinks he's better than us. Well, I got news for you, Jared. You're not. I know you can't hear this, but I'm, I'm going to tell you. I've had it with you. You and your weird little games. Unbelievable. Someone's happy.
the shit I put up with. Yeah, I'm not happy. How's that? Huh? Someone's happy, but it ain't me, Jer. It ain't me. Oh, here you are. I'm sure it was all audio gold.